Good morning and welcome for our sermon today for the 1st of November. We've now got to the middle of our series on our identity together in Jesus and if you've been with us for all of it so far, good to have you back again. If this is the first time you've come in, you can access the earlier sermons via our website or YouTube channel. If you're new to us, we very much welcome you to get in contact and you can find the contact details on our website. Looking at our identity in Jesus, we're looking at three main themes, that we're accepted, that we're secure, and that we're significant. We're now in the middle of the secure ones, and our theme for today is we are assured that God works for our good in all circumstances. The main text for this comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now this comes after the passage I was speaking on two weeks ago when I was talking about the fact that we're accepted because we're children of God. Ultimately, we know that all things work for our good because we're our children and he loves us. However, let's get this in its wider context. And as always, which I say in most of my sermons, we find that what I can cover in 20 minutes is just scratching the surface. There are lots of other things I could have developed further there are even topics I haven't even touched on today. Equally, we could look further before in Paul's letter and afterwards to get more of the context. So I'm going to read from verse 12 in chapter 8 all the way to the end, verse 39 of the chapter. You will notice if you're familiar with uh, Christian things that many of these verses are ones we're very familiar with. But as I've mentioned before, often we look at them individually rather than as a whole and see the links between them. So it's worth going through all of this. I'll be reading from the ESV version and the words will come up on the screen. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any change against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I pointed out two weeks ago, the context of us being children of God, and here we can see all things work together for good, is that there is suffering now. Verse 18 talks of the sufferings of this present time. And in verse 20, that creation was subject to futility. The time when we need the truth of verse 28 is when we are suffering, not when things are going well. Therefore, to look at it as if verse 28 says, in God all things work together for good, and things are not going well for me, so what has got wrong, 
is to misunderstand this verse. The way to interpret it is rather, things might not be going well for me at this moment, but I know that in God all things work together for my good. However, we will often be in the position of not knowing how or why something will work for good. Sometimes we will, in hindsight, see something of what God was doing, but not always. This is especially true of long-term mental and physical health issues. Looking back at verses 24 and 25, it says the following. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen. Sorry, I'll start that again. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it in patience. Now the context is we're waiting to see the full fruit of being adopted as sons of God. We have the first fruits already in the spirit living within us. But we know our bodies are not yet what they will be after the resurrection. We know that our bodies are subject to disease. Particularly as we get older, we know that our bodies are subject to decay and things don't work as well as they did in the past. Looking at creation around us, looking at our communities, looking at our lives, we see that there's frustration because things don't work as we think they should work. And that is true, they don't. Because the effect of sin has corrupted this whole universe in which we live. And therefore, however much we try and do good, there always seems to be something which comes along and corrupts it. We can see improvements in some aspects, and then sometimes we see those fade away. We can see changes because people apply Christian truths to society. We can see changes in such things as uh, the reduction in slavery. But it's never completely removed. There's always other things come in. So therefore, we have this frustration. So we know that there's frustration and we can see it in our own lives. But our hope is secure in what Jesus has completed. If we don't see something which we know God has promised now, we continue to hope and we wait with patience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, in Paul's letter there, he says that talking of the current time, for I know in part, but later I shall know fully. 
Now, I used to think this in terms of, I don't understand what God is doing now, but when his time comes, when we're in our resurrected bodies, I will then know what has been the reason for all these difficulties and suffering. But sometimes I'm not sure whether that will be the case. Certainly, taking what Paul says there, we can know for sure that we could know the, what the reasons are. But looking at the way the saints in Revelation respond, I think actually there's something more important we will be looking at then. So reading from the Revelation of John, chapter 7 and verse 9. For I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the angels, sorry, I guess that my reading right. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, now is not the time for a theological discussion as to when the Great Tribulation occurs, whether we're in it now or it's something which comes in the future. But the point is, these people have come out of great suffering. And their response is not to say to Jesus when they're before the throne, can you let me know why it happened? Their response is worship. And it's difficult for us sometimes to be thankful to God and to worship when we're in difficulty. Many of those who are my generation will remember that when our, we were teenagers, a book was published called The Hiding Place, which gave the story of Corrie Ten Boom. If you haven't read it, can I recommend it? It's also available on DVD, and I know I've tried using excerpts from it in the past. But it's the story of a Dutch watchmaker and her family, who, during the Second World War in Harlem in the Netherlands, hid Jews in their house. They were betrayed and on the 28th of February 1944 they were arrested. 
and anyone who visited their house, relatives or friends, that day were arrested. All of them were released, apart from Corrie, her sister Betsy and her father Casper, who was extremely elderly at this time. I think he was probably in his 80s, Betsy and uh, uh, Corrie were probably, I think, in their 50s. The German authorities were willing to release Kasper because of his age if he agreed to behave himself. His reply was that if anyone in need turned up, he would take them in. Nobody really knows quite what happened, but within the next few days, he died. Corrie and Betsy were placed first in uh, detention camps in the Netherlands, moved to a um, more concentration camp in the Netherlands, and then later in 1944 were moved to Ravensbrück in Germany, a concentration camp. There, they led Bible studies in the dormitory. Miraculously, the Bible they had, they managed to get through various searches. The reason they weren't disturbed during their Bible studies was because the dormitories were severely infested with lice. Therefore, the guards preferred not to come in and, uh, because they didn't want to be attacked by the lice. Betsy was convinced that God would release them and that after the war they should set up a house for those who had been traumatised during the war. However, on the 16th of December 1944, Betsy died. Her health had never been good. Later in the month, Corrie was actually released. She discovered after the war from the clerk who was uh, responsible for the paperwork that that was an accident and a mistake. A week after she was released, all the women in her age group in Ravensbrück were sent to the gas chambers. Corrie managed to get back home and after the war God used her in many ways. But she always used to say that, you know, she would Initially, she would want to pray that the lice would go. But Betsy said, well, give thanks to God in the circumstances. And she could see why later that was beneficial. We are unlikely to be in that kind of situation. As a society, 
we have so many benefits that things which people would have taken for granted in the past we now see as being suffering. But let's remember God is working for good in all that he does in our situations. Because as Paul says later in verse 31 what can we say to these things? If God is for us who can be against us? That is something to hold on to. And remember in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.